0: Thank you for joining Radio Maria England. We now present Feasts and Seasons, presented by Joanna Bogle. Hello, it's Joanna Bogle, and it's time for Feasts and Seasons. July has a long, long association with a tradition of honouring the precious blood. And I only discovered quite recently that there's an extraordinarily poignant link, especially for Britain. The precious blood of our saviour was shed for our salvation. One of the most terrible, tragic days in the history of the British army was July the 1st, the old feast of the most precious blood. It was the first day of the Battle of the Somme. And I only discovered that in 2016 because it was the 100th anniversary. And I discovered it in particular because I was and am involved with the Church of the Most Precious Blood in London, standing by London Bridge. Like so many of our churches, it has a large war memorial with far too many names on it. And a great many of the men who served in local regiments, notably the East Surreys, in that corner of south London, at that time a very poor area, fought in the Battle of the Somme. When we look at the dates on which they were killed, a good many were killed in July, 1916. Truly, July the 1st, 1916, precious blood really was shed. Men who came from very humble homes and often left behind widows and children who were going to live in poverty and face great hardship in the years to come. And they also left behind, in some cases, not yet wives, but sweethearts, fiancées, women who would perhaps never marry, and who in the 20s and 30s also faced financial hardship, caring for themselves, but often also having to fund elderly parents because a brother had been lost So the first day of the Battle of the Somme for Britain was particularly poignant, and the fact that it fell on the Feast of the Most Precious Blood has an extraordinary poignancy about it. Some 60,000 British and Empire casualties were noted on that day, July the 1st, for very little territory gained, and of those, an enormous number were killed. The casualties, that's wounded and dead, Something like 60,000, and of those, some 9,000, 10,000 were killed. It all began at 7 30 am. They had to go over the top and across no man's land to the German trenches. It wasn't pointless, they had a goal they were meant to achieve, and so on. But many of them did not achieve the objectives because the German barbed wire had not been dismantled, and a massive bombardment for a week beforehand which killed so many German soldiers, hadn't broken their line. So 20,000 men of the British and British Empire troops, I said 10 a moment ago, but it was actually 20,000, or to be absolutely specific, 19,240, died for very little gain. Some did gain the enemy trenches, but these were later retaken. And then four long months of slog on the Western Front resulted there's something terribly sad about that much blood being shed for so little gain, but it is a tradition that we honour our soldiers. We can be very sure that there is a place in the loving heart of God for men who did their duty and as they saw it served their country to the very best of their ability. There is nothing nobler than laying down your life, protecting those at home, caring for their wives and children, Believing very deeply that Britain required this sacrifice, well, God has a place in his heart for men who do that. And we, you and I, even now, a hundred and something years later, we should love our country, pray for our country, work to make sure it's a good, happy and decent place where proper values are celebrated and honoured, where children are brought up to respect and love the best, the best of our country's traditions and where we are united in neighbourliness and good fellowship and kindness to one another across barriers of race and class and so on. Let's remember the blood that was shed at the Battle of the Somme all those years ago. The Catholic calendar has many riches. Great feasts, old traditions like the one I've mentioned about much July being the month of the precious blood, and lesser-known saints, Have you ever heard of Our Lady of Aberdeen? It's her memorial this coming week. It's quite simple, really. It's a post-Reformation tradition in Scotland of praying to Our Lady of Aberdeen in order that the tragic rifts of the Reformation be healed. Our Lady of Aberdeen, yes, she has her statue in Aberdeen and elsewhere in Scotland, too, but particularly in St. Mary's Cathedral in Huntley Street. And it's all based on a French statue of Notre Dame du Bon Success, a devotion also honoured in Canada, Our Lady of Good Success. So find out about Our Lady of Aberdeen, Our Lady of Good Success, and you will find all sorts of references to her across the northeast of Scotland, there's a hymn in her honour, and the whole idea of praying to Mary that the heels of the Reformation, that the wounds of the Reformation are healed, that's very important. Another saint, Celtic again, a Celtic link, is St. Killen. Now, he's an Irish saint, but he's very much honored in Germany. You will still find people called Killian or Killen, across Ireland. He was a missionary bishop of the days when Ireland was the place of saints and scholars, taking the faith to other pagan parts of Europe. St. Killen's feast is on the 8th of July. But you need to understand the backdrop. He was a missionary bishop. Towards the end of the seventh century, now by that time the Roman Empire is long dead, and the process really is beginning of converting people who are outside that empire's boundaries and who so had never and thus who had never received the faith. There were Saxon saints who did that. Think of Boniface from Credit and Endeavour, and above all, there were also Celtic ones. Uh, St. Killian is really quite well described. The idea that, uh, oh, it's far away and long ago and we know little. Oh, no, that's not the case. There are, in fact, a number of serious biographies of him. People could read and write. And then, as now, they honoured their missionaries, prayed for them and thought about them when they were far from home. And then, on receiving news about them, rejoiced in their successes and were sorrow full of sorrow when they were martyred. And yes, St. Kilian was martyred. According to the story, he himself was born of noble parents. He actually met his death after doing so much work in the German-speaking lands in what was then really described as Franconia, the Frankish area, Würzburg, we would really say today. And he succeeded in a great many converts, but not the queen. She was. She hated him. She was very much opposed to him. She had not converted. And this was because she was not correctly married. The king, or rather the duke, we might say king, the local ruler, the duke, had in effect violated the law of the church and that of sacred scripture. He married his brother's widow. And it was she who, when Killian denounced the king for living that way and said that they should live separately, live as brother and sister, Uh, She arranged for Killian's murder, and he was preaching, and when he was uh, finished preaching in public in the main square in Würzburg, uh, she had his head chopped off. It was a great, public, horrific martyrdom, and it was while the Duke was away. It was her soldiers who did this this deed. So he is honoured as a martyr and as a missionary. That point about his brother's widow is interesting, those of us who are, Historians know that this was an issue for Henry VIII, who had similarly married his brother's widow, but had sought the permission of the church to do so and was given it because his brother's widow, Catherine of Aragon, was not properly married to his brother. They'd been betrothed as boy and girl, but had never lived together as man and wife. And so a dispensation was granted. I only mention that because it's important to understand that the church's rulings are not random. There is a consistency, and the issue for which St. Kilian died was an important one. Henry should have remained married to Catherine. He was legitimately married to her, and he put her aside to marry his mistress, Anne Boleyn. He had sought proper permission to marry her precisely because it was recognised that you should not, in the ordinary way, marry your brother's widow. But under some circumstances, you can get permission to do that. The church cherishes family bonds. When we marry, we acquire a whole new set of relatives. I am fortunate in possessing two splendid brothers-in-law who married and have children of their own. They are, in a very important sense, my brother's. And my relationship to them is brotherly. There can never be any question of it being anything other than that. It's very, very important that we understand the bonds within the family life are sacred in the 7th century, in the 16th century, and today. Well, St. Killian has been venerated for centuries in Ireland. And yes, of course, is also venerated in Würzburg, in the area to which he was missionary. It's very important, actually, that we understand that Ireland sent missionaries overseas, not as in the more recent past to Africa and to China, although there are very heroic heroic stories there. There are Chinese Catholics today who owe their faith to Irish missionaries in the 19th and early 20th centuries. But Ireland also sent missionaries across to England across to Scotland and across to Germany. That's a heritage which Irish people cherish and should teach their children about. Today, Germany, England, Scotland, Wales, Ireland are themselves effectively mission territory. We have been fortunate to receive a good many good priests from Africa. In one sense, it's rather splendid the church is a big family, we all share and share alike, and now we are receiving missionaries and badly needed ones from countries which not so very long ago were given the faith by Irish and British missionaries. So that's good, but there's also something poignant about it. St. Killian was a missionary bishop to pagans. Today, we in a country that has been Christian for so long, receive missionaries from countries that are much more recently Christian. We have to be re-evangelized. It's not a first evangelization. It's something that the church hasn't really seen before in this way, a new evangelization. It's a wonderful thing that we have saints and heroes that we can look to for courage and example and we should pray to St. Killian to help us all in the new evangelization, because he played such a major part, and with his blood, in the old. In the celebration of Feasts and Seasons, I always like pointing out lovely customs and traditions, but some things are too solemn for that. There's no way we're going to have a jolly cake to mark the Battle of the Somme. And a martyrdom, too, sometimes has its own traditions, but sometimes is simply something you honor. You tell the story of the saint and you talk about the, their achievements. Have a lovely feast day on the Feast of St. Kilian. Invoke Our Lady of Aberdeen for a great revival of the church in Scotland. Pray for the church in Ireland, in England and Wales, in Scotland and in Germany. And enjoy St. Killian's feast day. You're listening to Auntie Joanna, Joanna Bogle on Feasts and Seasons. Send us any of your stories. Tell us how you celebrate the feasts and seasons of the church's year. Any family traditions? What do you do, make, eat and sing for the different feasts of the year? What will you be doing for the feasts that are coming up? Send us your stories at info at radiomariaengland.uk Thank you.